Well, good morning, guys. It is such a pleasure to be with you. You guys doing all right? I love worshiping with you guys. I love, um, I love this church. I'm part of a church in Langley, B.C. called Christian Life Assembly. And I was telling James on the way here, like, for a lot of reasons, preaching here feels like preaching at home. Being here feels like being at home. There's some practical reasons for that. Ben used to work there. Mike used to work there. Lance used to be there. So it's familiar faces. But there's also something in the heart of this church, the role it plays in the city, its history, its legacy, the sense of God's commitment to this church. I think that one of the things that sometimes we think about God is that we're trying to hold on to him. And in a very real way, we are holding on to God, right? But I've been thinking a lot lately that God's actually holding on to you and I a lot tighter than we're holding on to him. Like if I'm walking through a dark hallway with my son Hudson, he squeezes my hand, he's four, thinking that, you know, what if something happens? We're walking downstairs that my kind of CP will squeeze my hand. But Hudson's got to know that I'm holding his hand way tighter than he's holding mine. Like, he's squeezing my hand thinking, oh, man, I need to hold on to Dad. But I'm holding his hand way harder than he's holding mine. I'm not letting go of this guy. Even if he lost his grip, I'm not letting go of him. And I feel like that's something that we need to have a revelation of in a personal way. But I think in a very profound way, that's true of this church. I mean, I don't think God's sentimental. He's willing to see uh, tax shelters and brands come and go, you know, ministries and even churches. But... What God has done in this people and what God has committed to in this people, I think, is for, I think he's holding on to you tighter than we're holding on to him. And I really believe that for you guys. What I want to talk about this morning, uh, just as right in line, I know Ben actually taught out of the same passage of scripture last week as I'm going to teach out of this morning in Matthew chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can flip there. And I want to talk about the value of people and, and God's heart for people and our invitation to be people-focused, people-centered. A number of years ago, and it's interesting how the life experience can kind of form you and become anchor points of things that you learn. I had this one, it's, it's, it's really, it's not a super profound experience just in, on the surface level, but what it taught me is something that's kind of lingered with me for a long time. It was this, my grandpa was in the hospice, and uh, he was passing away, and I did an all-nighter with him. I stayed in the hospice because we took turns, different shifts, spending time with him. And I remember like before, around 8 o'clock at night, I walked out of the hospice and I walked across the street to the Starbucks that was there. And I walked into the Starbucks to buy a coffee to kind of charge myself for the next few hours. And when I was in Starbucks, and this is, you know, it's kind of, kind of funny to even say it, I actually was kind of feeling like super bad for myself. Like all I could think about was that no one here knows what I'm going through. And maybe it's just me that can be so self-centered like that. But in that moment, I was just like, you know what? The barista taking my order has no idea that I'm walking back to my grandpa who's dying. The people in lineup with me who aren't paying attention to me or, you know, stuck in front or whatever, they have no idea what I'm going through. And I felt like as I was kind of indulging myself and kind of feeling bad for myself, I don't know if it was the spirit of God or whatever it was, but I just had this sort of switch in thought. Like, hold up. I have no idea what anyone else in here is going through. Like, because sometimes we're so like, man, they have no idea what I'm going through in my life right now. But then I think everyone here could be going through similar things. And so, like, I don't know, like, so now if I'm in a drive-thru and I get kind of snuffed by the McDonald's drive-thru person taking our order, and instead of being so offended myself, I'm like, I have no, I literally remember that moment in Starbucks where I'm like, I have no idea what she's going through today. Yesterday in the hotel, we were walking down and this guy came out of, uh, came out of his, hotel, his hotel room and I said, what's up, buddy? And he looked at me and just snuffed me off and walked past. And my instant reaction is to like let my own ego get attacked and me feel like, what's that guy's deal? To kind of feel insecure all of a sudden. But then I had that thought again. I have no idea what he's going through. 
I have no idea what conversation he just walked away from or what meeting he's going to. I don't know anything about that person's life. And do you want to know what? When we begin to have that movement away from self-centeredness towards other-centeredness, that is part of the full life that God's invited us to. And you know what? I've noticed in my life a couple movements and trends, three that I want to identify for us. The first is a movement towards isolation. A movement towards isolation. That if we, when I say trends and movements, this is what I mean. I mean, have you ever been in the water before, in like an ocean? And if you're just hanging out with friends, the current actually moves you? Like if you're swimming out in the ocean, you can actually find yourself 100 meters down the beach than when you started, because there's a current, there's a trend, and you don't even notice it happening, because it's subversive. You know what, the time in history we live in right now, at least in Canada, we don't have quote-unquote hard opposition. We're not being persecuted in a physical way for our faith, but there is soft opposition, that's always going on around us. And it's similar in our own heart and our own growth. You know, the church isn't called to be relevant. I believe it's important that our music and our sounds and even some of our aesthetics reflect the heart of culture. But we're not called to be relevant in terms of changing our values. We're called to be resilient. Because there's a movement in culture that I see. If I'm like passive, like I'm standing in the water, I'll be moved towards isolation. We live in an individualistic society. This is new of this time in history. Fifty years ago, there was interdependency that fueled community. But now we live in a, in, a, in a society that perpetuates isolation. And this is just what it means to be human on planet Earth right now, is that if we don't, uh, aren't on guard and noting, we'll move towards isolation. That is our life being closed off from other people. You say, well, I live with my family or I have a few friends. Well, even by isolation, I mean a select few. That we close ourselves off to other people. Because when you're in high school or elementary, elementary school is the, the most beautiful thing. Preschool is the most, my, my son Hudson's in preschool. He doesn't, he hasn't suffered from that movement of isolation like you and I have because he hasn't lived long enough. He goes in that classroom, he makes friends with everybody. His life is open. But what do we learn as humans is to close ourselves off. And in this way, the church isn't called to respond to culture and, and, and become like that. No, we need to be resilient and refuse. Refuse to be isolated. We can't be isolated. We must be people-centered and have room in our life for one more. For more people. So the first movement is isolation. I've seen that in my life. As my friend group gets smaller and smaller to people who think like me and talk like me and affirm the way that I want to live with my life. And that's not a, that's not a godly movement. That's a worldly movement. The second is a movement towards hard heart. I remember um, when I was, I, I, I don't even think I was 10 years old. And it was the first time that I saw like a World Vision commercial on TV. Like a, a commercial about um, poverty around the world and children not having food. And I remember seeing this and running to my mom and saying, Mom, is this real? And I'm like, I'm like bawling at this point in time. Is this real? There's kids without food? I had no idea. And I remember my mom, she's so sweet. She helped me, this is before you do donations online, she helped me call World Vision and give my first donation towards something ever. So sweet of my mom. But do you know what's crazy? is over time I learned I could just change the channel. And I, I can actually walk past posters from World Vision or Compassion and it doesn't even, doesn't even pinch my heart. Because there's a movement that can happen in our life, a current, if we're not careful, from a soft, tender heart towards a hard heart. And I want to be gracious to you and I want to even give myself a measure of grace. I think in a lot of ways we do this because it's the only way we can cope. Like if we were to really think about the genocides happening in the world right now, the results of the tsunamis, and, the, and 
all sorts of horrible things around the world. If we lived in that place, sometimes we feel like it's too overwhelming, it's too heavy. So what we learn to do is actually try to kind of put up walls in our heart. But what we see in the movement of Jesus is that he doesn't move towards hard-heartedness, he moves towards tender-heartedness. And that we're able to have a tender heart because we partner with God who carries the burden for us. First movement is towards isolation. Second movement is towards a hard heart. And the third is towards inactivity. And they're all very interconnected. As we close off our lives to other people and as our, heart, our hearts can get hard, we find ourselves becoming increasingly less active in the service of other people. In the serving other people, you say, well, you know, and we find a way to keep ourselves very busy. But we find ourselves moving towards inactivity. And I think there's a number of reasons for these things. I don't want to oversimplify these problems. But one of the reasons might be just a sense that, can I make a difference? You tried to be loving to your neighbor, but you didn't feel like you made a dent. You tried to serve on a ministry team at church, but didn't feel like it made an impact. And so we find ourselves so cynical towards activity to reach and serve other people that we find ourselves maybe narrowing our ministry or holding back. And so we find my, I, I found myself... I find myself caught up in this flow towards inactivity in serving God. Now, now, let me be clear. I'm very busy, but there's a difference between active in the things of God and being busy in life. It's easy to become busy, but it takes intentionality. In fact, that, if anything, like, if you think about the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, if he had a tactic to stop us from making a difference in the world, wouldn't he just play into these three movements? Like, what if he could just make you so busy with menial things, the work of life, that we become inactive in the participation of what God's doing on planet Earth. And so the text I wanted to look at this morning is where, where Pastor Ben was at last week, and it's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So what I want to do is I want to read that, and I want to anchor ourselves in that text, but then I want to go back a couple more verses and just look at something about the life of Jesus. Is that all right? You guys doing okay? So verse 35 says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, an interesting thing about that first verse is if you go to Matthew chapter 4, you're going to see almost the identical phrasing. And that's a literary device that uh, the gospel writers and other writers use. uh, And it's called an inclusio. And essentially what it means is like you might see two like phrases at two different points in the text as if to kind of like bookend a series of ideas. And so what you see happening between chapter 4 and chapter 9 is Jesus doing his kingdom work. And it's almost summarized in these three things, like teaching in the synagogues as if to anchor what he's doing in the story of God throughout history. All the prophets, all the law, all summed up and and being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So he's teaching in the synagogues, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. What is the good news of the kingdom? What's the good news of the kingdom? God is near. He's not far. You can know God. You can have hope in this life and security for the life to come. You can have peace everlasting. So you go on proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing all kinds of sicknesses and disease. And so from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 9, we see expressions of this. Jesus doing those very things. As if to say these, are, these aren't the, this, all the specifics of the kingdom at hand, but these are the broad brushstrokes of the movements of the kingdom, proclaiming good news, bringing healing and liberty to people. And so we see Jesus doing that. But this is also a pivot text in the book of Matthew. It's a pivot text in this, that we see the ministry of Jesus happening, but in this text, he pivots and begins to reveal his plan to carry on this ministry through people. And so all of a sudden, in verse 
In verse uh, 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And so what we see is this pivot text. Is, and then the next thing, chapter 10, Jesus sends out the twelve. So we see the gospel writer showing us the movements of the kingdom of God. Jesus revealing his plan to carry out this work through people. And that's where you and I come in. That God's plan for planet Earth is to use people like you and me to impact others in the world around us. That just in the same way that Jesus was people-centered, that even though the movements of culture is towards isolation, he opened his life to other people, so we should open up our life to other people. His heart was tender. I love that. It says that he was moved with compassion. The word compassion might have lost its, its, its meaning on us, but the word being translated here describing compassion literally means moved in his gut. Like he felt it at his core when he saw the people. And so we see in Jesus a tender heart, and we're invited to have a tender heart. And then we receive him moving to action, that he did the things of the kingdom, praying for the sick, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, God, feeding the poor and hungry. This is what Jesus did. And then he invites us to do the same. Why don't we just go back a little bit, though? Go up to verse 18 of the same chapter. It says this. It says verse 18, well, while he was saying this, so just right before he was being questioned about fasting, and so he did some teaching, but then it says this, while he was saying this, I think it's really important, while he was saying this, like in the middle of his teaching, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come, put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did the disciples. Now first we've got to say, this is a distraction. Jesus is in the middle of teaching and somebody interrupts him, and Jesus is willing to embrace the interruption. It's super fascinating. Super fascinating, but listen to what goes on. So, so Jesus got up and went with him, with the synagogue leader, and so did the disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Verse 22, Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd... And people playing pipes, he said, go away, this girl's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. Do you see the double distraction? Jesus is teaching, and a synagogue leader says, I need you to come to my house, or I need you to come and meet my daughter who's sick. And so he says, okay, he goes, come on, disciples, let's do this. And then while he's going to do that, He's going through a crowd. A woman sneaks up, grabs the hem of his garments in hope of being healed. She's healed, but that's not enough for Jesus. He pauses and identifies with this woman. And so what we see in Jesus is a person who's distractible. A person who's distractible, who's not so busy and so self-focused that he can't be distracted for an opportunity to minister. And I think what's happened to us, I think the temptation has become so isolated that we don't hear the needs of the people around us. We're so hard-hearted that we can't feel it when someone grabs the hem of the garment. And we become so busy doing other activities that we stop doing the activities of the kingdom. And what I see in the person of Jesus is somebody who is willing to be moved, to be distracted, to be interrupted. Okay, let's go back to the primary text. First thing we see is this, is the kingdom of God is at hand. 
One of the things that I realized, sometimes one of the reasons that we find ourselves inactive in serving other people and in bringing the kingdom of God to people is, is maybe this overwhelming sense of we don't know how to finish the deal. Have you ever felt intimidated in a conversation before? Like, my job is to bring this person from no understanding of God all the way to conversion and discipleship and baptism, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy And you can feel this overwhelming pressure. And sometimes that moves us to inactivity. Or sometimes we feel like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what difference I can make. But it's really important that we acknowledge that the kingdom of God is not something that we inaugurate. It's something that Jesus already inaugurated. And that when we step into somebody's life, even just for a moment, you're on the bus, you're driving, you bump into somebody, you meet them, you're in the office, you meet someone, a new friend, you can begin to think, oh man, I've got to take this person from zero to 50 in their discipleship journey. But that's actually a fallacy. I'll tell you why. Because God's at work in that person's heart before you even show up. Because the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's coming. This is the tension of Scripture. We live in the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. That is something that Jesus inaugurated. He said the kingdom of God is here and at hand, and that the Spirit of God is at work on planet Earth, softening hearts, rescuing families, hearing people's prayers, responding. And yet we also anticipate a day where the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, and we're invited in to participate. And one of the things that has changed my lens when it comes to serving other people is the conviction that I'm stepping into a story that God's already started, and that God's going to finish. So whether you're in their life for five years, ten years, thirty years, or a moment, we are participating in something that God is doing. And so that liberates us. That opens up our heart. And do you see how God's at work today? I was just reflecting this morning on the things just in the last little while that I've seen God do in people's lives. I've seen people radically addicted to pornography confess, open up their lives, and find freedom and restoration in their marriage. Kingdom of God at hand. My friend Chris, when I was talking to him as I was prepping this message, talked about how an atheist came in the back of his church. And he was teaching on the prodigal son. And the Spirit of God moved this atheist's heart. He began to weep as he heard the love of the Father. The kingdom of God's at hand. He's not a good enough preacher. I know Chris. He's not a good enough preacher for him to be the one moving that hard heart. It's the Spirit of God at work in people's hearts. Trust me, I'm not a good enough preacher. Ben might be, but I'm, I'm in that same category. The kingdom of God's at hand. He's at hand. He's healing the sick. He's restoring marriages. He's building his church. It's happening. The church, is, the church is growing more today than ever has in the history of the world. The Spirit of God is on the move, and the kingdom of God is at hand, and we're invited to participate. That's the first thing we see. Jesus went around announcing the good news. The kingdom of God is here, healing the sick. We're invited to participate. The second thing I love about this text is that Jesus was moved by compassion. I think compassion is well defined as an increased awareness to the needs around us. And this is a movement away from isolation. This is a movement away from hard-heartedness. And it's a movement towards activity in the kingdom of God. Compassion. Jesus was moved by compassion. What did he see? He saw the political oppression of these people. He saw the spiritual oppression of these people. And he was moved He's like, they don't have a lead. They're like, they're like harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved. He was motivated by his own compassion. And I think compassion is the best motivation for mission. Now, there are seasons in our life where we're not passionate and we're not full of compassion, but we're obedient. And that's important and good. We're not led by our feelings at all times. We obey God in our faithfulness, whether I feel it or not. But I believe that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is the same Spirit inside of Christ, and that he wants to move our heart with compassion. 
we've got to acknowledge that if we are static in this, or let me rephrase, if we have our posture as neutral in our journey of cultivating compassion, the current of culture will lead us to isolation and hard-heartedness. Heck, I don't even have to externalize the problem to culture, the sin nature inside of you, inside of me. It's a current that will move us away from compassion towards self-centeredness. But what the Spirit of God wants to lead us towards is compassion, that we see the needs around us, that when we walk into our office building, when we walk down our street, I um, heard a story from CLA very recently of somebody from our church who um, saw some people with all their stuff on the lawn of their house. And he found himself thinking, what's going on there? So he went over, he talked to them, he found out they were evicted from their house and they didn't know where to go. And so he just began to scheme with some of his friends about storing all their stuff in their garage and finding a place for them to stay and to sleep. And then he found out a bit more about their life and there's some sickness and illness. He prayed for them and they were healed. And all of this started with him seeing the need right there. Just driving past, like, oh, there's a ton of, ton of stuff on their lawn. They look a little bit displaced. And the thing is, man, we can get our blinders up. Because we're, we're taught. We're taught to look out for ourselves first. And the kingdom of God is completely backwards in this way. The kingdom of God says there's a heavenly father who loves you so much that you don't have to stress about your needs so that we can become other-centered. And this is why we have to be resili- resilient. It's not about being relevant. It's about being resilient. We refuse to be isolated. We refuse to let that self-centeredness reign in our heart. And here's the deal. We've catered to this as the church. We've cater- we have a whole language set about meeting each other's needs. And church meeting our needs and being about us. And it's subversive. And it sneaks up. And it sounds in well-intended language. You know, we, 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 we've, we've laced our, our version of Christianity with a language set that actually facilitates our self-centeredness facilitates life being about us. But the Spirit of God wants to break that down. Here's the deal. My, we have a new pastor at our church, and, I, and, and he changed things up. He changed the game. So he did this thing. He does this thing. We used to do prayer at the end of the service, and he had the audacity of bringing prayer into the middle of the service. How dare he change the script on us? But he did it because he was in charge. And this is what he did. This is what he did. He goes, and, and, and I, I don't, this isn't even like a perfect model. This is just Pastor Derek's model. In the middle of every worship set, he does this thing called opening the altars. This is what, and maybe this is, I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Is this in Pentecostal, Pentecostal tradition? I don't know. Never heard that kind of language before. We're going to open the altars. I'm like, that's awesome. So he gets up there every Sunday morning and he says, hey, altars are open. If you have a need, come up. And so the prayer team comes and, and it's, it's so awkward because it's like this. Like they're standing at the front. And, this, and the band's still singing, and then all the prayer team's there. And like, I'm always watching them, like, are they going to sing along as people come? And then people come up to the front, receive prayer, and then they pick and choose. It's, it's like the whole thing's very awkward. But I like praying for people, but I never want to. It's the weirdest thing. I love praying for people, but I never want to. So I never want to go up and do prayer ministry. But I'm a part-time assistant pastor at my church, which is a very, very clever way of them saying, Jay's super part-time, we want him on the team, but we don't want to get too involved. And so I'm called a part-time Part-time assistant pastor. They released a, a, a brochure that actually said part-time assistant to the pa- youth pastors. That was actually there for those. I mean, that's all I am is assistant to the youth pastors. But I'm a part-time assistant pastor in my church, so I'm not allowed not to go on the prayer ministry team. So I sit in my chair. I'm always over there, and they open the altars, and I find myself thinking, I do not want to go up and pray for people right now. And I don't know what it is. There's, and maybe, it's, maybe it's my sin nature. Maybe it's that I'm introverted. Maybe I don't like the physical touch aspect. I don't know what it is. But I never want to go up, but I always go up. 
And so I go up, and I stand there awkwardly, and the band's singing, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Do I sing along? So I usually do this, and I put my head down, and I just hope that people are like, maybe he's just getting ministry or something like that. But then inevitably, somebody comes up with a need. Somebody comes up with a need, and as soon as somebody starts talking, and I see the person, and I try to practice this discipline of listening well, not just listening to the words, but listening to the need behind the need. So a mom comes up and says, my, my kids aren't following Jesus. Can you pray with me this morning? Or, hey, I've got you know, a guy who's out of work saying, I desperately need a job to provide for my family. And I just try not to rush into prayer. I just try to feel it for a moment, just to let compassion and empathy have space in my heart to grow. So I put my hand on their shoulder and I begin to listen to God and say, God, is there anything I can pray for them for? And try to listen to their need. And I just try to be patient and not rushed. Because in prayer ministry, it's not just like a quick, well, God, I just pray that he gets a job. Amen. Tap, tap on his back onto the next person. But prayer ministry is this ministry where the Spirit works in and through us towards other people. And it's beautiful. It doesn't happen in seconds. It takes minutes. As you stand with somebody, you know the thing is like, when we pray for the peace of God to fill someone's heart in a situation like that, we actually believe that the Spirit would, in and through us, minister peace. It's the most bizarre thing, but God loves including us in His kingdom work. So we're not just praying, God, I pray that eventually you'll give them peace. We're actually believing that as we pray that the Spirit of God, His ministry in and through you to that person, would actually minister peace, vision, hope, healing. So I find myself praying every Sunday now, and I never want to go up, but I always do. I always do, because I've just found that something's really changed in my experience of church since I've been on the prayer ministry team, is I don't care if the sermon's any good anymore. And I don't care if the worship set was rocking or not. I just don't think about it anymore. I used, that's all I used to think about. Did I like the sermon or not? Did it meet my needs? Did I, did I connect in worship? But I just don't even care anymore. I, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious. If, if anything, I, and, and, and I'm not being pompous. If anything, I want you to, to see how much of a wreck I am, that that's how self-centered I can be about church. But being on the prayer ministry team has just changed everything because I pray with one or two people and I'm encountering the Holy Spirit and I feel like I got to participate in kingdom work. And so that's enough for me to have a meaningful connection with somebody from the family of God. All I had to do was stand awkwardly for a moment and listen and put my hand on their shoulder and not rush. And all of a sudden I feel caught up in it. It's amazing how it changes. It changes us and moves us towards act and activity. Compassion is an increased awareness to the needs around us. And if we just put ourselves in positions where we can connect with people, we can find our heart moved with compassion. So I am addicted to myself like you are. And I sense that the movement of culture is not towards this tender heart, but towards a hard heart. And so what do we do? How do we cultivate a compassionate heart? How do we follow in the way of Jesus to have compassion like that? The first is we begin to pray. We pray for others. We begin to pray for others. In high school, I used to pray my yearbook before I'd go to bed at night and then in the morning. And then what would happen is inevitably I would see these people at school that next day. And God just over time began to massage the callus off my heart and share with me his heart for my friends that don't know Jesus. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't one moment at altar call. But after months of praying for my friends, God gave me tears of compassion for the lost. I had such a hard heart, but he massaged my heart. And so I want to invite you to become prayerful for the things that you want to cultivate compassion for. We know we need to reach young people in this city. Would you join us and pray for young people? We know that there's a whole group of people, one of the biggest groups retiring in the next five years. All these baby boomers retiring. Would you join us and we pray for the baby boomers? 
they do retirement in a way that changes the church and the world around us? Would you join us as we pray? Say, I don't have a heart for baby boomers. Do you know that doesn't come naturally to me as a 30-year-old? I say, God, would you cultivate me a heart? Would you soften my heart? You know what's crazy? This is how old I am. Is sometimes I drive past high school students and I'm like, oh, they're probably up to no good. <laughs> so I'm like, oh man, I got old fast. That just happens, right? And I used to, I remember being a teenager and feeling judged by older people all the time. I remember as a teenager, people would assume that me and my friends were up to no good, and half the time we were up to no good. It's probably a fair assumption, but I still resent that. And because there's something that happens eventually where we see and we're not tender towards them. We're not opening our life towards them. We actually build up walls. People who are different than us. People who are not our own. It doesn't have to be youth when you're old. It can just be someone from even a, a different race or socioeconomic place in, in life. And, and we can begin to put up walls. And, but what we need to do is cultivate a heart of compassion so that we see the needs around us and we see it differently. So we begin to pray. We begin to pray. The first thing is you pray. Why don't you make a list of things that you want to cultivate a heart for and commit to pray? As you begin to pray, what we do, like have you ever seen how you fall in love with the things that the people that you love fall in love with? Like the shows that my wife likes to watch, I find myself liking to watch increasingly more. The meals she likes to eat, I like to eat increasingly more. The, the friends that she has that she loves, I begin to like them even more. Because when you, when you put your heart up beside somebody else's heart, there is a bit of a, an osmosis. And the same is true when we come close to God's heart. That we begin to get his heart for others. And it's through prayer. The second is through thinking. Think about what you're thinking about other people. Because we can have a, a language that perpetuates or a self-narrative that perpetuates that people that are different than us other than us aren't people that we have in our life, but we just need to change the script. I could be friends with that person. Oh, I don't know that person. I, I have a curious way of thinking about people. Oh, I'd love to get to know them. I wonder what their story is. I wonder where they're from. I wonder what they're passionate about. We, we begin to have cultivate a heart of compassion through prayer and intimacy with God. We, have a, we do it by actually changing the way we think. That we do the work of trying to slow down and know that that's a person. Like when, you know, I started talking about that story in Starbucks. Just the very, it's, it's an active work of the mind. It's not passive. For me to walk into a room and say, hey, this is a room full of people with needs and a story in their life. Some of you, you, you cultivate that naturally. You're so empathetic. All you do is see other people, and I love that about you, but that's not me naturally. I have to constantly do the work of thinking about what I'm thinking about and changing what I'm thinking about. See, when I walk in the door of this room, you know who I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about me and how I feel out of place. So if you're here, you felt out of place this morning, you didn't know all the words of the song, I felt that way. But then I had to do the work of rethinking, to think about what I'm, oh, I'm just thinking about me right now. And you know what helps me not care if I know the words of the song or not? I begin to think about other people who might not know the words of the song. Oh, I have an opportunity to serve this morning. God, what do you want to say to these people this morning? God, what, how can I encourage somebody else? You don't have to be on a, on a platform to serve somebody. And if you spend your time thinking, you know what? You're going to find yourself filled with compassion and actually having a better life. That a life lived for other people is part of the full life, God. See, sometimes we pitch this religious script that if we serve other people, then God will bless us. Here's the crazy thing. Serving other people is the blessing. That's a liberated life. What are you going to do with your life? Make more money? Get a raise? Get a promotion? A bigger house? What are you going to do with your life? Those things are rubbish. That's not full life. Peace, security, that's not full life. Your heart was made for adventure. Your heart was made for serving other people. To have all the way to your last breath to think, how can I impact other people? That's full life. 
That's the blessed life. It's a life lived further, and that's the life that God wants to invite us into. The kingdom's at hand. We're invited to be motivated by compassion, just like Jesus. And so we must make margin in our life for distractions and a willingness towards action. We have to make margin in our life for distractions. We have to reorient our schedule. We have to pause more often. I'm teaching my son Hudson to stop, look, listen before we cross the road. You remember that? Stop, look, and listen. Hudson, before we cross the road, he's told man, you got every time, Hudson, because I might not always be beside you, you got to learn to stop, to look around, and to listen. So he stops. Just stop what you're doing long enough so you can look and listen. So stop, Hudson. You got to stop. He, he loves running as fast as he can. Stop, buddy. Stops at the edge of the sidewalk. Now look. Not just straight ahead. Look to your right. Look to your left. And listen. Do you hear anything? And that's what we're invited to do as we become a people who are driven by people. To stop. So you're going through your day and you're about to go into the gas station. Just before you open your door and run into the gas station to pay for whatever you're going to pay for and buy that pack of gum, just pause. One minute. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'm not in a rush. If there's anyone in there you want me to connect with, I'm open. Before you walk into Starbucks, just one minute. Before you walk into work, two minutes, palms up before God. Holy Spirit, fill me afresh and give me eyes to see. you got to stop. Just stop. For me, you know when I need to stop before I go into my house? Because I get in work mode and I'm just like, do, do, do all day. And what I found for me is I take that posture into my family and it doesn't work. Like it doesn't work with my kids to be task oriented. It doesn't work with caring for my wife's heart to be task oriented. So when I get into my driveway, I just have to stop and go, just to slow down from the momentum of the whole day and just say, I just want to be present enough to see my kids. Not just see them physically, I always see them, but see their needs. See how they need me and see my wife. Think about her and what she's been up to all day and take an interest. If I just go in there, I, I just, I'm just go, 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 and I'm just like start fixing dinner, whatever it is, start doing whatever I have to do. But if I stop, let the momentum of the day catch up, I can be present. So first stop. We've got to find time to stop, guys. To stop. You ha- we have to create margin in our life. And then we need to look. When we walk into the room, let's remember, whatever room it might be, this room or coffee shop or your office, I want you to look around knowing that the kingdom of God's already at hand. When we look around, we're looking for two things. What are the needs around me? And what is God up to around me? God, I want to see what you're already up to and I want to get involved. It's a change in perspective, isn't it? It's a new way of seeing mission. It takes the burden off of us. It says, God's already at work. I want to be participatory in what he's doing. And last, we listen. We listen to other people and we listen to the voice of the Spirit. Spirit, what are you up to? Man, what would happen if we began to stop and look and listen just as a spiritual practice in our day? Now, I think what happens for me in this moment and is I can find myself so overwhelmed. There's so many people. There's so many needs. And so this morning, I don't, want the challenge to be go and solve all the problems in Calgary. What I want the challenge to be is open up your life to one or two more people. That's it. Make room in your heart for one or two more people as you begin to stop and you look and you listen. One of the exciting stories that made me so proud, we just started a young adult ministry at our church and we're doing this weekly service and one of the the young adults uh, invited her, a girl she met at the dollar store. She just met her that day 
and she wasn't a follower of Jesus, and she had a bit of a religious background from a different religion. She said, hey, why don't you come to Young Adults with us tonight? And this girl says yes. I was so proud of Natasha for inviting her. I'm like, that's her just like being in the dollar store, but stopping long enough, looking, listening enough to say, oh, there's an opportunity here to invite her. So she came. I love that. And then somebody else who's not on our leadership team, who's not like, like um, being rewarded by anyone to do this, went and met this girl during the prayer time and asked if she could pray for her. So she prayed for this girl. And the girl encountered the Holy Spirit. I think there were some tears. And so this other girl, not Natasha who invited her, but this other girl who just met her said, hey, do you want to do Alpha with me on Wednesday nights? I love that. All of a sudden, this girl is about to sign up for 10 weeks of her Wednesday nights for one person she just met. That's margin in her life. That's a willingness towards activity. See what I mean? Like some of us are so busy, we could never even think to attend Alpha with one person for 10 weeks. Guys, that's a problem. And I'm massively convicted in this. But it gets one better. She goes, I can't do Wednesday nights. And then this girl said, okay, I'm not going to quit here. Hey, would, I can do any night of the week with you. I, I'll get the videos. We'll do it in my home. Any night of the week, I'll pick you up. I'll get childcare for your daughter. And I'll do 10 weeks with you any day of the week. And so they're starting a four-person Alpha group. And I love that because Natasha and this other girl, they weren't coached to do it. And see, sometimes we can rely on the programs of the church and then we miss the whole point. And we start critiquing and evaluating them like mad. But that's really not how the church is meant to flourish. There's good programs. There's good things. But the church flourishes when we take ownership, when we're moved by compassion, where we refuse to move away from the activity of the ministry and lean into it, not just to volunteer more at the church, but to actually invite the mission of God into our day-to-day life, that I've got room in my life for one or two more people. I want to pray for us, and we're going to sing a song. And I love that the, we sang that song, Hosanna. It says, break my heart for what breaks yours. That's our prayer, isn't it? God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Teach me how to love like you. And I feel so far from that most days. But I sense that the momentum of the Spirit, the invitation of the Spirit that would come with the oil of God and massage the callus off our heart and soften us and give us new eyes to see, eyes with compassion in them, a compassion that isn't stale or static, but a compassion that moves us towards action. I was picking up apples with my son Hudson because we have an apple tree in our yard. And Mary was out there too. Hudson's four, Mary's two. And there's about 200 plus apples. I don't know the exact number. There's lots of apples. I was picking up all these apples. And Hudson and Mary really wanted to help. Really, really wanted to help. And so we put some gloves on them and they came out. And it was way more work for me actually for them to help. Because I picked up probably like 196 of the apples. Um, and then they picked up about two each. But in order for them to pick them up, I had to pick them up high enough to get in the garbage can. So it was so much more work. But I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I loved it. It was way more fun picking up apples with my kids than by myself. And I think they loved it too. And I think, why would kids go pick up apples? Well, because they wanted to spend time with me, their dad. And so when we think about the kingdom of God and the work that he wants to do in Calgary, I want to remind you that he's picking up 196 of the apples. And even when you get to pick up four of them, he's picking you up and helping you. It's a new vision. You see, the religious framework says, I need to serve so God will love me. I need to make something happen. 
And that gets you anxious and stressed, and once failure hits, you quit. But there is a better motivation for mission. There's a better motivation, and it's this. It's intimacy with God. You see, how do we know God? One of the ways we cultivate a deeper relationship with God is as we meet him in the hearts of others. And I'm not just saying this because it sounds poetic. Is there's revelation about who he is that you will only find as you partner with him arm in arm in service. Not because he needs your help, because he wants you to be involved. Not because he needs your help, because he wants to reveal himself to you in the service of others. That right when we find ourselves ministering to somebody else, our, one of the languages that Paul uses is co-laboring with Christ. I love that. Christ doing the heavy lifting, us coming along. I want to pray for us this morning that we would have hearts of compassion, margin for distraction, a willingness towards action, that we would think about people over our agendas, people over our programs. People aren't projects we're trying to solve or fix. People are people who are loved by God. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd come right now. Of course you're here. Of course you're here. You live in the hearts of your people. And we know you're here in an even more profound way as we gather together, and so we thank you for that. But God, I'm asking for more of your presence right now. Even more of your presence to come alive in our hearts. And so God, I just pray for those of us, myself included, who have a hard heart sometimes. And I just pray that you would soften our hearts. God, I pray for those of us who find ourselves isolated from others who need you even isolated from people in our own church, that you might have us to disciple. God, I pray that we move from isolation to community. And God, you move us from busyness to kingdom participation. This is about intimacy with God. This is about intimacy with God. This is about us saying, God, I want to be so happy with the things that you're so happy about. I want to cheer when you're cheering. And God, when you're grieving and you're crying over something, God, I, I want to be with you in that too. When God looked at the crowds, he saw that they're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. God, I pray that I'd be moved alongside you. Would you do that in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.